0: I want, to, I want to get there again And uh, I want you to turn with me if you, if you can to the book of 1 Samuel Chapter 13 In verse 8 uh, Most of the altars that I've preached upon Or preached about have been very positive things But uh, I, I kind of in my mind Had a direction where I wanted to go And you'll see how There's a, 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 a Connection between What we're going to preach about today And and what we talked about last week in Moses' altar and you'll, you'll, hopefully you'll catch in on that and uh, as I begin to go forward I, I realize I, I could not leave this altar alone and so I want to I take some time to talk to you about the altar of Saul but John, or, uh, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 13 starting with verse 8 and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this But it kind of sets the stage. It says this. And he, this is Saul. Saul waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. And Samuel did not come to Gilgal and people were scattering or people were leaving from Saul. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And Saul offered the burnt offerings. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said when I saw the people were scattering from me And that you did not come within the days appointed And the Philistines had mustered at Mishmash I said now the Philistines will come against me at Gilgal And I've not sought the favor of the Lord So I forced myself and offered a burnt offering And Samuel said to Saul, You've done foolishly, and you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commands you. For even the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And uh, this is the sixth sermon in this altar series. It's the altar of Saul. And if I'm going to give you a secondary title, it's The Tragedy of an Incomplete Sacrifice. The Tragedy of an Incomplete Sacrifice. I want you to ask the Lord to speak to you right now. Would you bow your heads and say, God, would you let your word uh, talk to me? Jesus, we worship you. We have come together and we've lifted our voice, our hands. We've given you praise. But now I'm asking that the word of Almighty God would, would, would be alive to us today. Would you open it up to us? Would you let us see What you would have to say in the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated. I'm not going to spend, like I said, a a lot of time here, but this gives you a quick insight into King Saul. Saul was a man who was head and shoulders above all the other men in his his kingdom. Uh, He was a man that was incredibly humble, but somewhere after the crown was laid on his head, and after a year or so of being king, something changed in Saul, and he became uh, not the humble man he was. In fact, you see that there was a, a progression of disobedience to the word of the Lord. I, I just want you to, just because I've written it down in my Bible, this is I've been reading and teaching from the English Standard Version. I bought a devotional Bible beginning of last year. And it's been what I've used, and I write in it. And so sometimes when I'm studying, I'll find a note I wrote uh, maybe in another period of devotion or study. And I, I wrote here on verse uh, 12 when it said, The Philistines will come down, and I had not sought the Lord, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. I want you to think about how foolish that sounded. I forced myself to disobey. I forced myself to disobey. And uh, this became uh, kind of the 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 way that Saul and his life operated, and so I want to I want to take you there. In in the study of the altar, we started with the altar of of Abel, and in doing so, we also mentioned Cain, and Cain is another negative altar. But the altar of Abel and Cain, it was the altar of first fruits. Don't give God the leftovers. From there, we transition to the altar of Noah a place of thanksgiving, a place of worship. From there we went to the altar of Abraham, an altar of submission. And if you'll learn to submit your life and yourself to God, then there will also be a place and a time of provision. Remember, that was the altar that was named Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And if you'll learn to submit your life to Him, I promise you He'll provide for you. And then from there we went to the altar of Jacob. And there we found that it was the altar, a place of destiny, a place of promise. That there were a lot of times in Jacob's life he didn't do things according to the way God wanted him to do it. He did it after his own thoughts, his own minds. He tried to, 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 to orchestrate situations. He tried to uh, bend the favor towards him. But at the end of that we found that God sent him back to Bethel. And he, alter, he, he built an offering and he he gave an offering to the Lord and he called that place El Bethel, the God of the house of God. Then the last one we went was the altar of Moses. And it was there, if you recall, and this is what prompted my, my, my sermon this morning. It was Moses, uh, they had come out of, out of Egypt, they had just walked through the Red Sea and now Amalek and, and those Amalekites have come against him. And, and so Moses goes onto the mountain and as long as he lifted his staff, Israel prevailed. If his staff fell, then Am- Amalek would prevail. And it was there that after uh, Aaron and Hur held up his hands so that they could have a sacrifice, it was there that Moses built an altar. And there he called that altar Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. And he realized that as long as he realizes that everything that, that Moses did was because God was with him, then things would happen. Again, if you try to do it on your own, you're not going to uh, make it. But it was there that, that in that, and we just kind of mentioned it, that God said, I am going to war with Amalek and the Amalekites for generation upon generation. And so later, the, in the, as the week progressed from last Sunday, I was looking at that and I was searching it and I was kind of seeing how it was let me tell you a little bit about Amalek Amalek was Esau's grandson and somewhere in it Amalek, they were a nomadic tribe there in that wilderness between Egypt and the promised land, Egypt and Canaan and Amalek did not like the fact that Israel was was camped for a while around that oasis and so Amalek decided that rather than let Israel pass through and go to where God planned them to be. Amalek decided to attack them and then God was angry. God was frustrated with them and so there was a, a battle but that was not the end of Amalek. You could you you could go and and look into uh, Numbers chapter 14 Numbers chapter 14 ends, ends with Uh, or or at least it leads us up. We had the 12 spies that went into the promised land and came back, and as the old children's song says, 10 were bad and 2 were good. And so it was they came back and they said, Moses, 10 of them at least said, Moses, the promised land is everything that it was promised to be. It flows with milk and honey. The grapes, it takes two people to carry a cluster. It's amazing. But the problem is there is a mighty people there. We, we saw Jericho, we saw other places, and to be honest, Moses, in our own sight, we're like grasshoppers there. We can't take the promised land. Joshua and Caleb tried to steal the people. Joshua and Caleb are saying, no, we absolutely can because the Lord is with us, and the Lord didn't bring us this far to leave us to die in the promised land, and so we can do it. But as you know, Israel held to the voice of the ten negative spies. So God is wroth with Israel and God tells them that that you're going to have to go a different route and God begins to direct them in that long journey that was going to take some 38 more years. And there were some there in in, uh, Numbers chapter 14 there were some there that did not like the fact that God basically told them you got to backtrack. And so they told Moses they said no we'll keep going this way. Moses said, if you keep going that way, you're going to enter into the valleys. You're going to enter into the hills there, and, and Amalek is there. And if you go there, you're going to be destroyed. And they said, no, we can do it. Now we can do it. I find it very interesting, and I, I told you, we, we read earlier in Saul, that Saul said, I force myself to disobey. Have you ever listened to someone talk to you, and the logic they gave you was so absolutely messed up, you did everything but not laugh at them? Have you ever heard someone explain exactly why, and in their mind it makes perfect sense, but if you could just get them to stop talking, and then step out of their body, and then listen to themselves talk, you'd realize how foolish it sounds. I forced myself to disobey. I got in trouble one time, I, I was pretty much in sin, and my parents caught me, and I remember I was young, young teenager, maybe 12 or so, and... I remember looking at my mom and I said, Mom, the devil made me do it. And I was semi-serious. I realized later that's not exactly how it works. But I want you to look at the absolute crazy logic of these Israelites. The Israelites had just, or at least the spies, had just come back from Canaan's land. And this is what they said in a nutshell. We cannot overtake Canaan's land even though God says he's going to be with us, they're too big, they're too strong, we can't do it. They basically said, we can't fight even if God goes with us. But in the next breath, they said, but we're going to go forward into the hills and valleys where Amalek is, and we can do it even if God doesn't go with us. Because Moses said, guys, if y'all go forward, the ark's not going with you. The tabernacle's not going to go with you. You're going to be all on your own. And they said, we don't care. We can do it. Can you believe that? That they would say, if God goes with us into the promised land, we can't win. But if we go without God, we can win. And the tragedy there was they went and they were soundly defeated because they went without the blessings of God. That's the next time you see Amalek. And then you get into Judges, especially Judges chapter 6. And that's the story of Gideon. The call of Gideon at that point it was the Midianites that's usually who we associate with Gideon but if you really read it you'll find that it was a conglomeration that mostly Midianites but there were Amalekites in there even some Philistines that would come and and every time the Israel would have a harvest here would come these enemies and they would take most of the harvest if not all of it and so Gideon is threshing inside a well so to speak or a cistern so that no one can see and God calls him and you have Gideon and, and those that are with him uh, fighting and winning going to war against Midian and the Amalekites but, but even though there was a battle that was won it never wiped the Amalekites off the map and so we get in, uh, to, to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14 looking around verse 48 and you find that Saul had been king for about two years and one of the good things that Saul did is Saul had, had gathered the people together and now any time the Philistines would come and attack or the Amalekites would come and attack, Israel would be defended and Saul would go there and Saul was winning some battles. Saul was, was defending. But in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 1, and I want to invite you to turn there and maybe just keep it open as I preach a little bit. Uh, I want you to see the tragedy... Of an incomplete sacrifice. So, Samuel goes to Saul in in chapter 15 and he says, and I want you to to notice, this is a direct connection back to that uh, uh, altar of Moses in, in Exodus chapter 17, I believe. But the Lord said, I've noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them. Kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now we in today's understanding in this politically correct society, we don't understand this. But this goes back to a God that was looking at a, a nation of people, Amalek, that had gotten in the way of God's promise to Israel. And God says, when somebody gets in the way of the promise I've put, I'm not going to just let them get off lightly. I know we don't like to think of God as a judge, but he absolutely is. And God had judged Amalek. And at this point, God was ready to close the book on Amalek. He said, I want you to go and I want you to kill. I want you to destroy. Don't leave anything alive. And so Saul came and he gathered an army. Bible tells us that 200,000 soldiers were on foot. There were 10,000 of the men of Judah. And they went to the city of Amalek and they laid in wait. In fact, they were so uh, uh, fixated on Amalek, they allowed the Kenites and that was okay. They said, look, we're fixing to destroy them. If you don't want to be destroyed, go out. And there were other tribes around the area that were able to escape and the Bible says Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur which is the east of Egypt he took Agog the king of the Amalekites alive devoted to destruction all the people at the edge of the sword there was a great victory This was the first time, if you will, that that God's people had gone to the stronghold, the city of Amalek, gone to where they were, not just skirmishes on the outside, not just fighting the enemy when they came to their territory, but they went to Amalek and they destroyed it. Samuel comes and, and he's ready, he's coming to find him and he gets there to Gilgal. And as he's walking, Samuel the prophet is walking to find Saul. He hears sheep bleeding and goats. And he hears camels and and oxen lowing. And he's trying to figure out what it is. He says, what in the world is going on? And Saul says in verse 15, I have defeated the Amalekites, the people I spared the best of the sheep. And I spared the best of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Brother Andy, I didn't tell you this, and I, I should have, but I want you to put up 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse number 15, if you would do that. First Samuel chapter 15 and verse 15. I want to see what the King James says. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. But he said, I've spared the best of the sheep and the best of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we've devoted to destruction said, the Lord thy God there. I find that very interesting. Saul didn't say, I've come to sacrifice to my God. He looks at Samuel and he says, I've come to satisfy what you've told me to satisfy. Samuel says to Saul, stop talking. I'll tell you what the Lord has said to me this night. And Saul said, speak. Samuel said, Though you're little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission, and he said, Go and devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you not, why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. I've brought Agog, the king of Amalek, and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, the sheep and the auction, the best things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Again, he shifts the blame. I didn't save it, they did. You're saying, Brother Beaver, why are you spending all this time talking about an altar? Well, it goes right here. I, you know me by this time you've, uh, you, you've been with me many years You know that I believe in sacrifice You know that I believe in worship But this is what the Lord says Verse 22 Has the Lord as great of a delight In burnt offerings and sacrifices As he does in the obeying Of the voice of the Lord Behold to obey is better than sacrifice And to listen Better than the fat of rams. For rebellion as is is the sin of witchcraft or the sin of divination. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. And because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. I would like to tell you today that as we've spent some five other sermons on altars and we've talked about sacrifice and we've talked about worship, I would like to tell you today that there is not a sacrifice, there is not an altar in the world that is more important than simple obedience to the word of God. Have you, those of you that have children or you're around children, maybe you're a grandmother or a grandfather or an aunt or an uncle, have you ever had a child that does something wrong and they know they're in trouble and as soon as you're about to get on to them, they say, I'm so sorry. Now, I believe in apologizing and I believe in forgiveness, but you know what? A sorry doesn't put the vase back together they knocked over with a Nerf football. And I will tell you today that sin and, and disobedience to the word of the Lord cannot be removed simply by a sacrifice. It's not enough just to somehow realize you've done wrong and then come to church and get back into a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving and think that everything's gonna be okay. There's not a sacrifice in this world that is better than obedience. To his word. And so it was that Saul was offering an incomplete sacrifice. He was sacrificing when he should have been obeying. And the problem was, still the Amalekites survived. He didn't kill it all. I could spend a lot of time, in fact I had thought that perhaps this would be the direction in which possibly the sermon would go, but I could spend a lot of time telling you there are things in our lives that if you don't ultimately allow God to destroy, they come back to haunt you time and time and time again. I've seen far too many sacrifices, if you will, far too many people that come to the altar and they have a sin or they have a need or they have a circumstance that they're battling, a weight, and they put it on the altar and they don't Kill it. They just knock it unconscious. And when they get up after the dime of prayer and, and tears have fallen, but they get up and they take that same sin and they take that same situation and it just knocks them over and over again. And you get that roller coaster Christian and they come to church and they try to repent and they try to put it at the altar, but it never dies. And they battle it their entire life because they never let God take care of it completely it's the tragedy of incomplete sacrifice and it goes over there's other places in the word of God that you could find there's other places that you can see uh, where where Amalek would would come back and, and snipe at him but then you get to 1 Samuel chapter 30 David is not quite king yet I mean he's been anointed king but he's not He's not ruling yet. Saul is still there and David and his mighty men are having to live a life kind of... Uh, they're hiding from Saul, trying not to die from Saul's hand. And and God is with them and so David and his men, they're there in Ziglag and they've got their families and it's become their own city and they're growing and they've got all of their cattle. And the Bible tells me in 1 Samuel chapter 30... That when David and Zig or David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against it, and they had overcome it, burned it with fire, and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They didn't kill anyone, they just carried them off. The tragedy of an incomplete sacrifice is this that thing you should have let God kill will not only affect you later, but it affect others and it keeps coming and now David is, is coming home to a burned city and it's not only his wives and his children that have been taken but it's all of the men and they're there and you know the story they're ready to kill David they're ready to stone David they said this is your fault we should have been here with our families and they're gone and what are we going to do? I don't know if David, how close David was and heard the story of Saul, but I have a feeling David knew that Saul had the opportunity to utterly kill the Amalekites. And he didn't. And David, as you know, he goes and he strengthens himself before the Lord, his God, and he goes to the priest and he says, bring me the ephod. And he puts it on and he says, I'm gonna, I need to ask of the Lord. And he prays, he says, God, what do I do? Do I pursue or is it a lost cause? God says, pursue. And I want to tell you that David goes, and David defeats the Amalekites. And at the end of that verse thirty or chapter thirty, the at the end of it, you find that he utterly destroyed the Amalekites. There were four hundred that were able to escape, and I don't know what those four hundred do. You would have to go to First Chronicles chapter four and verse forty-three to find the complete ending where they they wiped them out, but. You don't ever see the Amalekites coming back and messing with Israel. You don't see them. What David did, minus those 400 that escaped, and obviously God said it was okay, but David finally did what Saul should have done. He utterly destroyed them. You say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? It's very simple. I'm trying to say that one of the greatest things about a sacrifice is the completeness of it. In, in, in God's uh, understanding of a sacrifice, not only do you give him first fruits. Not only do you give him the things first, but God doesn't want you to give it and then take it away later. I had a person y'all none of y'all would know would know this person but I've had a person somewhere in one of the churches that that Sister Buford and I have been acquainted with that decided they wanted to leave church and they came up to the pastor and they said, we're leaving church we need you to give us back all the tithes we've given (laughs) that's kind of funny, isn't it? sometimes we do the same with God we bring to God an offering but then we take it back it's not completely consumed. An altar, an offering for the most part, an offering and a sacrifice was put on, on an altar and it was burnt to a crisp, nothing left. You couldn't take anything back. It was given all to the Lord. Saul, he had some problems and while he may could have done the, he, he could have, have gone through the motions, he knew how to build an altar. There were altars that Saul built. He knew how to put the wood on it. He knew how to even put some some meat on it. He knew how to burn it. But the problem was his heart wasn't in it. And it was an incomplete sacrifice because he didn't give God everything. And in doing so, it caused him great chaos. It cost him his kingdom. It cost him the lineage of his kingdom. There was never going to be another king after the lineage of Saul it cost other people like David all because Saul thought a sacrifice was greater than obedience I want to tell somebody today that when we get to heaven and we get to judgment however you want to look at that and you stand before him God is not going to judge The worship, God is not going to judge your sacrifice. God's going to ask one simple question. Did you obey? There's not going to be a a chance for you to stand there and say, you know what, there was a few things that I kind of let slip, but did you see how many times I clapped my hands in church? Did you see how much I gave in the offering? Did you see how many services I was atti- I attended? Did you see my sacrifice of praise? Did you see that I made every work day? Did you see that I never missed a, 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 a practice session? Just say, no, 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 you didn't, you didn't hear me. Did you obey? The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice, but if you allow me to Without adding to the Word of God, but to tell you the flip side of that, your sacrifice will mean more because of your obedience. Let me say that again. The Bible physically says obedience is better than sacrifice. But if you look through the Word of God, you'll find that it it bears out that your sacrifice will be better because of your obedience. And so today, I want to challenge you. I want you to find that altar of Abel and give God the things first, not leftovers. I want you to find Noah's altar of thanksgiving and worship. I want you to find Abraham's altar of submission and Jacob's altar of destiny and promise and Moses' altar of God can be your everything. If you're going to find all those altars, it would be absolutely pointless for you to do all of that. And there's some simple obedience that you missed. Brother Lowe held up his Bible and said, This is an anchor that doesn't change, doesn't move. And in it, if you just simply obey, you'll find that your sacrifices mean all that much more. I want you to stand with me today. I know it's perhaps I'm mixing metaphors. I realized that Saul had the opportunity to, to kill Amal- the Amalekites and didn't. And so David, it came to David. I just kind of felt as I was studying that God wanted me to tell somebody that if there's anything in your life that you have not completely obeyed, that incomplete sacrifice, if you will, That it doesn't have to be another person. It doesn't have to be a David that finally gets to defeat it. I think that that those could be the same person. If you had a moment like Saul where you didn't take care of everything you needed to take care of and it's it's still there. I would tell you today that if you'd obey the Lord, the voice of God could speak those same words He spoke to David. This time I'm going to allow you to pursue and overtake and finish the job. If there's any sacrifices in your life that are incomplete because of obedience that is lacking, then today's a perfect day for you to find an altar and for you to say, Lord, what do I need to do to get back into obedience of your word? And in doing so, you can overcome. I'm going to open these altars. Would you come in the precious name of Jesus? I surrender